Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The inside story on the teams, suppliers and circuits. Inside. Hello everybody and welcome to another Radio Show limited network of programmes Inside Story. Haven't had to come too far for this one. And within a blip downshift of being able to hear the Silverstone circuit. And I've come back to a place that I came in the very early days of our Inside Stories. I'm at Stracker Racing just between Silverstone and Toaster. Inside. Beautiful day, barely a cloud in the sky. I recognise all of this, even to where the trucks were parked. And Piers Phillips, who was the man who gave me the guided tours, started with the trucks, I seem to remember, in those days. Today, my guide will be Jay Davenport. Jay, thanks for having us here. What's uh, what's your role at this uh, at, at Stracker Racing now? Um, well, I'm just overall responsible, really, for the team's operational and engineering uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, so yeah that involves obviously running in the Blanc Pan series at the moment we're running uh, hopefully three Mercedes this year in uh, Blanc Pan Endurance and also in the Intercontinental GT Challenge as well so that makes you what team director race director yeah racing director is the the badge that I've been given nice Um, business card yeah exactly yeah um, gets confused a little bit with race director sometimes but yeah so racing director is my is my job title yeah now this is where I came all those years ago. Seems like yesterday to me, but then I'm getting old. To speak to to Piers, and this is still part of Stracker, but crucially, only part of Stracker's operation here in Northamptonshire. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure exactly when you came last time when you did see Piers, but um, we've grown from being in one unit on the uh, business park, so we've now occupied three uh, units. Um, and we fill them up pretty well. Um, so, we've, yeah, we've had to expand over the years. And, uh, yeah, the, the unit that we traditionally ran our LMP cars from is now actually a pit stop practice area. And oh, so really? where we actually um, do work on maintaining the fuel rigs and all our pit stop guns and things like that. So that's here? Yes, that, that's, that's OK, correct. let's have a look inside. I remember this clearly, which is... Unusual for me, because I've got the memory of a goldfish. Oh, yes, this all looks really, really familiar. Oh, Le Mans, fantastic. With the, the 42 car, Danny Watts, Johnny Kane, and Nick Leventis, of course. I remember, remember that year. Fantastic. 2010, with the, uh, the movie, with Sir Sterling Moss doing the, the talky bits. And if we go through here... Oh, very nice. A few bits and pieces. So... What does this get used for in here now? Because this was this was the car prep area, I think, the last yeah, time I was there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the main thing we use it for at the moment, just because of uh, space-wise, is we, we have it as a bit of a luxury, uh, to be honest, but we have it in an area that we've got a uh, pit-stop mule car that mm-hmm. we use. So whenever the guys get an opportunity, uh, they come over and they'll practice 
basically doing the pit stops and, and carrying the wheels around. Blanc Pan was a big difference for us going from LMP uh, to Blanc Pan from a pit stop point of view because you're only allowed two guys and yes. one gun. Uh, it's very physical because the wheels, obviously, one guy's got to carry all four wheels. Um, so it was a bit of a, a bit of an eye opener for us. So we we practice really hard at it so sort of you know take a example of um wrt obviously is benchmark from a pit stop point of view um so yeah the guys all get time to go to the gym that's important they get um an hour on a tuesday and an hour on a thursday to go to the gym and get trained up and within also, work time yes we do it yeah they can uh finish it for it's a bit of a perk of the job hopefully um the guys are all kind of pushing to be on the pit stop crew um that's how we how we try and make it work around Good. here um, but yeah, this this area we, we we have a pit stop car here. Yeah, not uh, not the quad, which is sitting up no, without its wheels on at the brakes, moment. Brake work done on it at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> upgrades, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, bigger brakes, so you can <laughs> stop a bit quicker going down the hill at Spa with all the fuel on the back. But um, clean as a whistle in here, as ever, as ever it was, mind I should say. Um, and the, there was, I think there was a. Was there a clean room there or a gearbox yeah, room still, in there? It's still sort of used as a sub-assembly room, right. but it's mainly used for fuel rig parts and for uh, servicing the wheel guns. Okay. Uh, we've got another, I'll show you the bigger clean room and the other unit okay. uh, when we move over the road. Right, can we get out that, that way? Have we got to yeah, go out the way we came? Yeah, right, let's, let's have a wonder. We're on an inside story here with Stracker, just outside Silverstone, between there and uh, Toaster. Oh, front end of a Mercedes AMG GT there if we slip out this side door here back into the sunshine back to where the trucks immaculate as ever have just been washed should drop the 968 round here for a quick bit of lather on it so this is all new this next bit that we're going to I can see another truck there and this is about well it's about twice maybe three times the size of the original unit yeah it's a lot bigger facility we actually I've been in one of the units uh, for nearly five years now. Wow. Um, so it probably shows how long last time was you here. Um, <laughs> oh dear. So, yeah, this is uh, sort of developed over the years. Originally, when we ran our Stracker Performance uh, 3.5 Renaults um, that were used for basically to give Nick some mileage when we weren't being able to run the prototype car because they were similar speed and mm. there's carbon brakes and everything like that. We thought it was a good way, really. To Downforce do car as well. Yeah, exactly, to get, get in mileage, which was um, the main reason for doing it. It's changed now from this workshop. We've actually got a machine shop in here. Which, which is, is what we can hear in the background. Yeah. Let me just stick my head in here. Oh, yeah, usual set of machines. Fantastic. Now, what sort of, what sort of parts and components are you machining in there? Um, th- nothing too complicated, to be perfectly honest. Normally a bit of pit equipment and stuff really for the you know garage to make sort of nicety bits to uh get everything sort of where we want it to be because presumably running gt3 you can't build your own bits you've got to buy the bits because that's all homologation yeah exactly everything's homologated so yeah. for us because we're running mercedes this year we buy everything directly from them but you know grid trolleys and uh the like we can sort of do stuff in-house um if anything's too complicated we've actually got pete cronin over the road uh, in another unit right next door to us, he does quite a lot of the complicated work for us. Uh, but anything we need to sort of mill or uh, turn up in house, we can we can we can do that. 
Where are we standing now then? What would normally be going on in here? It's relatively clean at the moment. The guys are just yeah. doing some electrical work over there, wiring some bits and pieces up. There's a few storage boxes and packing cases and flight cases ready to go on the next trip. So what, what's this area for? Yeah, it's, it's sort of a universal area. Sometimes it's been for car storage because we've got a few um, sort of cars from old that sometimes yeah. get stored in here and have work carried out on them. So it's an extra... Um, workshop bay from that point of view but it's also useful for when we're loading for flyaways and for sea freight container we sort of collect everything in this area and go through it all before we load it mm-hmm. um, we also have got our damper dyno so we've got like quite a sophisticated hydraulic uh, dyno um, that we use and every time the cars run we get the dampers off and we check them afterwards to make sure there's no issues the guys can also do um, track replays on there so we can actually oh, really? put in you know lumps and bumps from various circuits and see how the damping needs to change so you can run, run the liquid molly 12 hours of Bathurst back and, and see when you go back there next year see where you can refine things yeah exactly cool. you can do that and we can um, heat the dampers up and we've got a thermocouple on there so we can you know, if we want to get them to a certain temperature and see if there's any drop-off in damping force or anything like that, then, yeah, we, we've got the capability to do that as well. Got a few hubs over here, which I'm interested in. Hubs and wheel nuts. Yeah, so these, right, what are these, these from? These are actually off the uh, McLaren from, from last year. They're actually just out for us to check them over, and um, we've just got some spare parts, really, that we're um, just putting together for a customer. Right, OK. And... Generally speaking, with any car, of course, all of these things are lifed, presumably? Yeah, for sure. We've got basically, the same as when we were running the McLaren, we've got a lifing schedule given to us by the manufacturer. So as a sort of matter of um, process, we uh, log all the mileages after every event, put them into a mileage sheet, and then we uh, sort of project mileages through the season to just, um, you know, uh, work out service intervals and when... We're going to get, say, like the, the gearbox service mm. before we go to Spa and yes, yes. Uh, engines, etc., etc. So, What a lot of people don't realise is, of course, that all of this stuff that you have, OK, these are McLaren, but it would be the same for the, for the AMG uh, GT, um, you've got to keep a certain amount in, and, and that inventory is, is money, isn't it? I mean, how much is sitting there, roughly speaking, in those four hoops? Um, yeah, it's probably £20,000 worth <laughs> of, of uprights, yeah. It's, got, it's a lot of money. Um, it's not worth so much on the second-hand market, obviously. It's <laughs> um, something we're having to deal with this year. But the sort of thing you can bang on eBay on a Monday morning, is it? No, exactly, yeah. There's only there's only certain amount of uh, customers that are wanting these sort of products. But um, they are out there, and, you know, um, we'll, we'll be moving, moving these parts on. But, um, yeah, you, you do have to have a good level of stock. I mean, to be honest, um, McLaren and... Mercedes, those are the people we've dealt with really in terms of GT racing. They do have trucks at the circuit with spare parts on them, etc. So, um, but we do carry a level of stock ourselves that we feel we need to in terms of bodywork and things yeah. like that that you need to have liveried up. But when you're in a race like the Spa 24 and the 60 GT3 cars, and let's say you know eight. 10 of those are the same manufacturer of you. You don't want to be the third guy going for a part when they've only had two on the truck, do you? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So there's, <laughs> there's um, yeah, we, we come up with a bit of a strategy that there's, there's a certain amount. Obviously, it still comes down to budget at the end of the day. You can't mm. necessarily have a, a whole car sat there ready to no. um, be used. But um, the items that we know we'd like to have available to us, we, we've got sat ready to go on the car. Uh, so whether it's a corner or some bodywork, uh, and that comes from experience. And of course, you've been involved in single seater and GT racing for 
a little while now, haven't you? Yeah, about 20 years now I've been doing this, so it's all sorts of different categories. So, yeah, it comes down to experience. We've got a lot of guys in the team with a lot of experience, so we all work together. And at the beginning of a project like this, because it was quite a big task changing over from McLaren to Mercedes, on paper it might just look like we've gone from running four McLarens to three Mercedes, but... There's a lot more to it in terms of you know all the equipment for running the cars and uh, parts and etc. So we all sat down uh, the end of last year and came up with a bit of a plan in terms of you know obviously I have to sort of give budget constraints yes. as part of my role, um, but then with that with those in mind we then come up with a list of what we what we need. Um, to make sure that we're covered in circumstances when we go to Bathurst and yeah, places yeah. like that. So. Those decisions aren't made lightly because, and particularly in GT3, that is a street-based, a road-based car. Racing cars are racing cars. They've got four wheels and an engine. The engine, in this case, is moved from the middle to the front. Certain precepts in setting a car stay the same, but the nuances of putting a car together and taking it apart again, that can be subtly different. So did you, when you decided to go to Mercedes-Benz, did you have a, if you like, a training programme for the lads where you got a car and basically stripped it down and built it back up again? Um, not quite like that, but yes, there was training. We, we sent sort of um, a key, key lot of personnel, five guys out to, to Mercedes, to a Falterback, um, and they had training at HWA, on various bits of the car so we had like mechanics side of stuff we had data um, and electronics training as well um, and then basically what we've done those guys have come back and sort of passed on the knowledge uh, to the other guys in the workshop because we couldn't obviously send everybody um, but yeah I mean the more you work on a car um, the more you kind of understand what you need in terms of equipment for working on it I mean the layout of the Mercedes is so different to McLaren yes. not just you know, the, just the, the clutches on the back of the car where the gearbox is. Right. Um, so it's just things like that are very, yeah. very different. You know, it's not just the engine being at the front rather than in the middle of the car. Um, but yeah, the more. And also, the more I work. mean, GT3's moved on since the McLaren. The McLaren's one of the older uh, designs of cars. I know it's a balance of performance uh, formula, but, you know, ultimately people have looked at the formula and been able to bring some new ideas in. And the, the new GT3 MG. Uh, Mercedes is right at the, the forefront of, of that new technology. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, very well thought out. Um, we're impressed how well everything fits together when we get a new part to put on the car. It'll just go straight on. And you know. People will think, hang on a minute, surely that should just happen. But in racing circles, I've seen things turn up body parts particularly funny enough I remember having that chat with somebody here a few years ago but also some mechanical bits where you you know the guys have got to be field engineers as well as race engineers because sometimes it's not quite a perfect fit yeah exactly there's always I think it's like normal really everyone does a bit of fettling of bodywork to fettling, love get, it. It, get it to work on whatever car and sometimes you know certain panels don't always fit on one car to the other but uh, to be fair to the Mercedes uh, guys um, it's more like a road car in terms of like mm. all the bits sort of come and uh, fit pretty much straight away like you'd expect for a road car piece so yeah they've done a good job and they've thought about everything I mean just looking around the car if you have a look in the cockpit all the controls are laid out in a very um, you know logical manner yeah. and everything's easy to use and um, you have to be now. There's that many buttons on GT steering wheels. It confuses a stupid person like me. What else have we got? What have we got down here before we go upstairs, uh, Jim? Uh, well, we've just got basically more uh, flight case 
uh, stuff for and he's just in storage so we've got some setup equipment in here for uh, flat patches and uh, setup wheels Daft uh, question where's the cars they're in the next workshop so do you want to go oh yes come on let's have a look at that then got to have a look at the cars so this is all brand new to me I'll just let uh, Jay lead on I was thinking are they inflatable cars have disappeared ah Bathurst Mount Panorama fantastic stuff ah and here are and now this this workshop now because this is huge a lot bigger than the previous workshop um yeah, the workshop where we used to prep the LMP cars is probably, it was really only suitable for one car and the bodywork. Um, and in here, we can quite easily run uh, four or five GT yes. cars out of here. It's a lot, lot bigger. Um, this basically came about because when we were running in Formula Renault 3.5, we moved the team that we'd acquired from Norfolk over to Silverstone. And this is where it was based, and we had some two-litre cars in there. Obviously, our direction has changed a little bit from mm. there, and unfortunately, that championship is, is no longer. Mm. Um, so we, we're utilising the space, really, for the GT cars. So um, we've got quite, uh, we're quite lucky with um, some of the facilities we've got here. We've got a, a surface plate in the workshop where we can set all the cars up. So, so that's that, what I would call a flat patch, is it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. But it's obviously an enormous one. It's uh, five metres by two and a half meters so uh you can fit a gt car on there and we can measure all the uh bodywork fit on the cars where we used to measure all the stuff on the lmp cars we treat the gt cars exactly the same That's in terms of the the aero and everything like that um and we actually i can't say who but we have other teams in single seaters come and use use this and rent it off us well, well, it's, a, it's an asset so, isn't it it's an yeah, asset it is, yeah. all right we'll go and have a close look at the cars in just a moment you're listening to an inside story i'm just between toaster and silverstone in the center of england in northamptonshire and jay davenport is showing me around stracker racing inside inside story on the radio show limited Network of channels, I'm John Hindorf, and prepare to be envious, dear listener, because I'm standing within touching distance of the beautiful suede and, well, I was going to say steering wheel. It's not even a steering wheel, it's the steering bow tie uh, that will be part of the control surfaces, and I say that advisedly, of the AMG, the Mercedes-Benz AMG GT. This is a GT3 car. Uh, It's in this immaculate preparation area of Stracker Racing and Jay Davenport uh, who is the racing director here is showing me around um, this car looks pretty much brand new how much work has this done um, yeah it's only done 1500 kilometers so it's just done a couple of days running um, sort of pre-season this is the, we didn't take this car to Bathurst um, so the two behind us were at Bathurst at the Little Molly 12 hours yeah yeah that's correct yeah that's why you can see they're having a bit of a more extensive strip down uh, than this one so all the suspensions off both cars we've had the gearboxes off we're looking at the clutches and uh, just making sure all the drive line is okay um, and, and how often would you do that alright obviously the Bathurst 12 hours the car's been half around, way around the world it's a, a very uh, Difficult circuit uh, up for driver and for car. Is that the sort of strip down that you would give what, every 12 hours of racing? So, you know, a couple of six hour races or, or what? How, how much would happen there? Yeah, it all goes off the mileage schedule that you right. talked about earlier. So, we basically um, service everything according to that. And um, if there's something that's going to come up, you know, on life or on service whilst we're at an event, we'll service it beforehand. Yeah. Um, 
Because so, so it is like a road car. So, you know, um, particularly German cars, they have a little service light that comes on and starts counting you down from um, 3,000 kilometres. It's not, it's not that different from that, is it? No, it's not. Um, we don't have the service light, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, we have to sort of work it out ourselves a little bit and keep track of the mileages. But, yeah, no, very similar thing. Um, you know, I think a lot of the GT manufacturers there, they're, they're very good. They've under, they understand their cars very well um, in terms of, you know, how to keep them reliable. Um, so we follow their guidelines. Uh, to be honest, uh, the way we operate is that if, if we get an opportunity time-wise that we can go in, into the cars a little bit further, we will. We'll take mm-hmm. that opportunity and we'll, um, you know, it's just the way we like to go around our business. We don't do the minimum. We try to do as much as we can yeah, every yeah, yeah. time to make sure we get the reliability. That yeah, and you're not going to run everything right up to the last the last kilometre. Having said that, the, the race mileages that these GT cars in particular can do now are extraordinary for someone who's been around the business uh, as long as me i mean we're talking thousands of kilometers for most things not hundreds aren't we yeah exactly i mean you can pretty much do half a season on one of these cars and not really Really? have to look at it uh if if you were so inclined but um, if you were running on a very tight budget yeah exactly i mean it's all down to kind of what you've got available in terms of resources and mechanics and time is a lot of a a large thing so so an engine um, stays in the car or at least doesn't get a major overhaul for what 15 20,000 k yeah it's 20,000 on oh. this car so yeah it's over a season's running for us uh oh. with what we're doing so gearbox yeah, um the, the gearbox is um 10,000 so um you know we'll, we'll have to get it serviced really before uh we go to spa is what one of the big things we'll, we'll change the mm-hmm. um gearbox internals and things on but um yeah the, that's the extraordinary engine, isn't it and you coming from a single seater background early in your career yeah. those kind of numbers you would if somebody had told you that when you were down running um the single seaters at arden which is i know where you were earlier in your career you would have you would have called the the, the the funny farm to have them taken away wouldn't you well yeah exactly i mean yeah doing gp2 gp3 um you know the sort of mileage we're talking about is that you would never work on the car all year in terms of servicing anything <laughs> you'd literally just do setup changes and not have to think about it so um yeah it's, it's very different um mm. in terms of how, how how um you know how the cars are designed these are designed to do 24 hours straight you know as soon as you get the car delivered you pretty much should be able to go and do a 24-hour race with no worries and and the key thing is that and mercedes-benz in common with their competitors uh, it's a customer racing car now i know they run semi-works teams all of them run semi-works teams as well much to the chagrin of uh, people like me i, I think if gt3 is meant to be a customer racing and it should be but i'll leave that sort of box for another day but these are meant to be i mean you guys at the very top of the customer racing team not everybody have got the kind of facilities that Stratter have and these cars are meant to be run by teams with a variety of budgets and a, a variety of resources yeah, it's, that's very true. I mean, yeah, I won't go into the politics of... Uh, uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting yeah, you to, uh, Jim. Um, the, 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 the manufacturers uh, being too involved or whatever. But the no, I, th- I think, you know, the, the manufacturers across the board, I think, do a very good job. And um, GT3 is an accessible market for all sorts of different teams at mm. different budget levels. Um, yeah, we're we're fortunate here in terms of just in terms of how we've gone racing in the past. We've got the facilities to operate at the level that we do, and obviously we want to keep our standards and everything where they were previously when we've been running our single seaters and our LMP program. So um, we treat the GT cars in the same way. Um, may, you might say maybe we go 
into detail too much uh, in comparison to other people. But for me, you know, we found that the Blanc Pan series is extremely competitive, uh, you know, and you have to tick every box. So yeah. that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do a good job for uh, Mercedes this year. We obviously want to do a good job for Stracker mm. as well. Um, we really want to establish ourselves as the front-running uh, GT team in, in Blancpain, and that's our objective for the year. Um, you know, that, that's the reason we've uh, signed the drivers we have so far. Mm-hmm. So we want to we want to be at the front, um, and we just want to take every opportunity really to use all the resources we have available to do the best job possible. Looking further down the line, I mean, the opportunity. This is a business. Um, you know, do you see people coming to you in the future and say, "I want to drive with you," and he's a he's a bunch of money? Yeah, that's that's definitely the sort of avenue that we're looking at taking. Um, I think we're and to do that, you've got to establish yourselves and have a, a good reputation. Exactly. I think we're we're in a, a year where we want to establish ourselves, get a good reputation. Um, we're trying to be very geared up for the drivers. I mean, perhaps I can show you around our, our, our fleet of trucks a little bit. We've got mm. some quite impressive facilities for looking after the drivers on event. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're definitely gearing up for that at the moment. Whether whether it's going to be a realistic that we're going to have um, paying drivers here this year, um, I'd like to think so. Um, but I'm at the moment I'm working on that. So, um, but yeah, we are in a position where going forward, yeah, we want to be commercially viable and, yeah. and we want to be competing with other teams. Let's uh, let's have a look at this car, the, the Mercedes-Benz AMG GT3. Uh, I'm around at the front of the car. The car's got the wings off, so exposing the front chassis rails. And the first thing I notice about this, Jay, is just how far back that AMG uh, four-litre, that is, isn't it? Uh, four-litre engine is pushed back in, in the front. I mean, that's almost... In fact, the back end of it is pretty much sitting in the, the, in the cockpit of the car. Yeah, that was one of the big things when I... First you could get another engine in front of it, actually. You could, yeah, exactly. For for a front engine car, it's not very towards the front, yeah. So no, it, as we'd expect, it's been very well thought out, and um, obviously the road car is the basis for this. And I'm sure, you know, the 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 engine position it comes from the the road car um, as much as anything. So. What does that do with the, the weight balance? Then you, you you came from a mid-engined car with the McLaren. Um, you know, normally people would say, well, you know, that's the ideal thing to have. And we've even seen in the GTE and GT Le Mans uh, series, uh, Porsche changed their engine and gearbox uh, around position of engine is free in that, uh, not uh, so here, um, just to try and get that balance. But this is such a long way back, I would think it's quite beneficial for the weight balance. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was surprising to see how little difference there was between the weight distribution going from the McLaren to the Mercedes. Um, it's a little bit further forward, but not not a great deal. So yeah, they've done a very good job with all the packaging. And the old Pano's prototype days, which was a front engine port, they used to call it front mid engine. And, and I'm kind of seeing the same thing here. We'll go back to the driver's side. Then he went round the wrong side here. Uh, before I do so, by the way, uh, this uh, I mean this is a proper racing car. Yes, it has street car, road car routes, but I mean that's that's double wishbone suspension on the corners. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and we've got uh, Multimatic Dynamics. DSSV dampers all round. Um, with, uh, Is that what's homologated, or are you allowed to choose that? Uh, yeah, no, it's homologated, yeah. Right. So, yeah, they're very good dampers. We've had, we used to have these on our, our um, sports car, actually, yeah, when we were on, running yeah. the uh, HBD. So we're, we're yeah. very familiar with the, with the dampers and uh, with the guys over in Thetford. So, um, yeah, it's, it, 
yeah, very good for tunability. And that's very sophisticated for a GT, for a, a road-derived GT car. The brakes are huge. The, the discs, the rotors, for our American friends, not on there at the moment. Big calipers uh, and sort of a hint of the Formula One biscuit tin around there uh, as well. That's a serious amount of stopping power. Yeah, I mean, the, the car's obviously weigh um, just over 1300 kilos depending on what the balance of performance is um, so yeah they've got to have some serious stopping power especially uh, the brakes need to last you know 12 hours at Bathurst and obviously you did you do a brake change at Bucket? no we didn't no, no we managed to get to the end without it so. you'll do one at Spa for the 24 presumably. yeah for sure yeah I mean um, we might be able to push uh, the brakes a little bit um, but I, I think everyone has to do a mandatory stop there so yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be changing the brakes, yeah. Amazing. That, that's a very sophisticated front. And, of course, at the rear, if I look underneath there, right, that's a transaxle underneath the back. That's going to help the weight distribution as well. And, again, proper, what I would call proper racing car set up at the back. And, again, that's for tunability. I mean... This is a road car formula. It is tightly policed and homologated, but there's still quite a lot of engineering for you and the lads to do here. It's not like you just check the tyre pressures, polish it up and send it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, although people might not necessarily think uh, GT car is very aerodynamic, um, the aero plays a massive part of this. So um, bodywork fit and bodywork positioning is critical. So we spend a lot of time mm. making sure everything is, is in the right place and where it should be. And you want a stable platform for that aero to work. So getting your suspension sorted, the last thing you want is to see a GT car porpoising around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's lots of parameters that you can change. Obviously, there's, it's, it's tightly controlled, like you say, and all, all the wishbone points and things are mm. uh, within a homologated uh, area. But yeah, there's like the toes and the cambers and casters and various other bits and pieces. They are uh, changeable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as things stand, the sort of support we get from Mercedes, the baseline setup that they provided us with was very good. Mm. Um, that's where we sort of tested with to begin with. Um, we've got new tyres um, uh, for this season. So we've done some back-to-back tests on those from 2017 tyre versus mm. 2018. A uh, little bit of a difference, so uh, nothing drastic, but we've changed some stuff on the car basically for the new tyre. Um, and... Uh, yeah, the drivers are all pretty happy with where the car is and uh, we're sort of more focused really on making sure operationally uh, we're doing a good job when we're at the track doing the pit stops and yeah. strategy in the races is key as well. So tight. I mean, you know, you, your driver will spend a whole 45-minute, 50-minute stint trying to find a couple of seconds on the guys around them, so you've got to be sharp on your pit stops. Talk about that a little bit more in a minute. I've got to talk about this rear wing. My God, that is a thing of beauty, A, in its construction, and B, in its mounting as well. That's an extraordinary thing for a GT car. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's very much uh, key to the aerodynamic uh, abilities of the car, uh, the rear wing, and it's been, like the rest of the car, been very well thought out. Uh, It's got a lot of adjustment on it that we can can find. And, um, yeah, I mean, the the part of the, the sort of... Uh, strength of the uh, Mercedes car is is the downforce level is quite high. Yeah. Uh, we're good in the high speed corners, maybe not so quick on the straights because mm-hmm. of that, uh, just to balance everything out. So yeah, you kind of have to play to the strengths of the car, which is the cornering speeds, yeah. and, and not try and go for 
uh, straight line speed necessarily. Right. So you can't so. trim it out quite as as much, right. perhaps. Right, okay. You know, you were talking about the quality earlier on. You can see it from everything. You know, even the light clusters with the AMG logo on it, just the way everything plugs in. What, what I noticed there, Jake, you know, coming from an endurance background, if you have to change a rear light lens, you've got quick fit uh, fasteners there. Everything, even service parts like that or crash parts like that, everything is has been thought about about um, usability and changeability, serviceability on this car. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously GT racing, as you well know, it's quite often you can have a rub. It's a bit uh, rough and tumble, yeah. You can have a bit of rough and tumble. So, yeah, things are thought about well in terms of, you know, uh, changing parts over quickly and if you if you go into spa and you you know you have a bit of front or rear end damage because you've had a bit of contact you want to be able to change um, the bumpers as quickly as you can and get rear quarter panels I say that's pretty that that rear quarter panel beautiful and black carbon fiber at the moment that's a single panel that'll just have a couple of fastenings I presume to get that off so you can get that off pretty easy yeah it, I mean obviously everything has to be attached securely but yeah there's a few fixings that they can yeah. put on the car really to make it make it quick to change and obviously the guys practice changing front ends and rear ends as part of the sort of pit stop works not just changing wheels <laughs> we do actually practice changing body parts as well so um, you know if they need to do it in anger we can do it quickly and um, get the car back out as soon as we can right, let's have a look in the inside the business area this big exhausts coming up either side underneath the sill so be careful when you're getting in and out that you don't burn your leg on that as a driver um the insides of GT cars, GT3 cars in particular, are shockingly complicated for me now. Um, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine buttons and room for two more on that little steering wheel. A very Mercedes-Benz uh, indicator, trafficator stalk. Um, not a sat-nav in front, but a, a TFT screen, Bosch, for all of the pages of information that the driver can cycle through and then an aircraft style centre console uh, with bits and pieces ABS on and off uh, ABS reset I see ta- traction control and ABS dials I'm familiar with those from GT4 um, what's the what's the lever just to the driver's right hand on this left hand drive car well the, the actual pedals move in this car John so you can basically ah. pull it towards you and it releases the whole pedal box assembly which slides towards so the, the seat driver. is fixed now yeah. and that's why we can see that it has the access panel above the, the driver's head so if the seat is fixed Acknowledging the fact that drivers might be different shapes and sizes, then the pedals have to move. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's a fixed seat shell in this car um, that you can have a seat insert in uh, as long as it meets the regulated requirements from the FIA. And, uh, yeah, we have the the, the steering and the pedals move for the driver, basically, is how the driver fitment is. Some drivers, uh, some cars, sorry, have uh, movable seats. Um, The McLaren had a fixed seat and fixed pedals, and it was only the... um, a steering wheel that would move, so right. obviously the driver's insert would have mm. to change to accommodate the drivers then. Um, so yeah, it's just a different way of, of going about what you do. But yeah, it's, it's, I think the the le- level of like the different height of driver that you yes. can accommodate with the movable pedals is probably greater. So um, see, I'm about five ten, but I've got very short legs. I've got the legs length of somebody who's about five seven, five eight, and I'm long in the body, and that has always been a problem with me on motorbikes. Particularly, I stick up out the airflow, and in cars, just the same because my head's on the roof and I can't feed the pedals, which is yeah. always a pain. Um, what I notice in common with a lot of GT cars now: nice big door opening. Again, that's you know down to get people like me who aren't very fit in and out of of the cars can't say that of any of your drivers they're like butchers dogs personal trainers i mean that's 
that's actually quite a business-like place, place to be nowadays in a GT car in the in the cockpit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, looks like a proper racing car. Yeah, it is. It is. It's um, yeah, thoroughbred racing car. Um, as you can see, everything's carbon fibre in there. All the dashboard and the seat and uh, steering wheel. Um, there's a lot of controls for the guys to get their heads around, as you as you pointed out. Um, to be honest, with these cars, that uh, unless you've got like some issue, you generally don't have to change much. There's a lot of controls you can change, but generally maybe dial a bit of TC in as you come in at the end of tyre life and so on. Yeah, just like exactly, yeah. And I mean, most of the time, you know, the drivers have the engineer at the other end, uh, sort of phone a friend, sort of thing. If you get stuck with anything, <laughs> your engineer knows how the car works and they'll advise you on anything. Um, so. Yeah, but it, yeah, like you say, it's a, it's, it's, it's a race car, it's mm. through and through, um, it's very business-like in there. The guys, you know, have to be fit to drive these cars at the top level, in my opinion. Um, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy car to drive. It's 1,300 kilos plus, you know, you're going to have to hustle it around, aren't you? Yeah, you are, and um, they, the, the cars get very hot, um, you know. Have the drivers noticed any difference with the engine being in front rather than behind them? Yeah, there's there's quite a difference actually in cockpit temperature with this. The Mercedes is a lot cooler. It was one of the reasons that we felt really? that yeah, there's a lot better airflow with this car. Because um, that goes against conventional thinking. You'd yeah. think your, your feet would be getting hot on the pedals and all that yeah. hot air from the back of the engine, yeah. which is right up against the bulkhead, yeah. that would be transferring through. You're not getting that heat sink through. No, no, it's been obviously very well thought out like the rest of the car as well. Oh, and good. actually the the comments from the drivers is that temperature-wise, it's a lot cooler in the car, and they don't have the necessity to run the helmet coolers which we ran in the McLaren. It is fitted in the car when we need it, uh, but they don't wow. need it as as much. So it's quite noticeable the, the difference there. So um, yeah, again, the Mercedes guys have thought the car through thoroughly. So I can I can see why guys love this. That's a that's a nice working environment in there. Uh, we're at Stracker Racing. Uh, Jay Davenport is my guys, and we'll be back with more on this inside story on the Radio Shore Limited network of channels in just a moment. Inside. On this inside story with Stracker Racing, Jay Davenport, who's their uh, racing director, has brought me outside the unit now, but inside, something that perhaps we ignore too much when we're talking to race teams. This is one of the race trucks. One of three that I've seen, and Jay, you've got another one coming soon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're going to have four in total for the for the um, championships that we're doing this year. Uh, the new one we've got, basically, we've got coming hopefully for Silverstone. Um, it's going to have a big pop-out office in it, basically, for all the engineers and drivers to get together to have a quiet debrief. It's something we felt we didn't have last year, quite a place for everybody to sort of go through the data and, and debrief properly. We had to do bits in the garage and office that wasn't quite big enough to get all the drivers in see that's interesting because this you know people will look at trucks and think you know they look great when they're lined up behind the garages they're essential part of what you do a lot of people think of the race trucks as just transport they've got far more to do at the racetrack than just that yeah exactly i mean they have to be multifunctional because obviously you need to get all your kit and the cars to the track um in the most efficient manner because obviously the bit people probably don't see is the, the setting up of the garage and the pack down. It's the bit nobody really likes to do, but 
as a team if you can be efficient and uh, well organised with that it makes a really big difference to the amount of time you've got available to actually work on the cars and, and uh, you know get the serious bits of getting you know being quick at the track um, we had a review over the winter and we've changed the trucks a little bit so the truck we're standing in at the moment um, previously uh, where we have an office it basically had some listers and we kept all our parts on here when we were right. running the McLarens uh, we've now made this into a driver truck so we've got a fold down wall here John that you can see oh, with yeah. a doorway and basically so the back half of the truck is uh, partitioned off for a treatment area so we basically oh, have wow. uh, a human performance team so uh, would it would it it would it bring a car to the circuit and then be transformed, or will you be putting gear in the back of this to, to yeah, bring it down? Th- this particular truck will carry two of our cars right. on this on the deck where we're standing, right. and then once we've unloaded it, we'll clean it all out, uh, lower the partition, um, and then we'll have basically a massage table put there and a treatment room for the drivers. Um, and then the area we're standing in now is set up so the drivers have all got their helmet dryers and somewhere to hang their overalls and everything and then as because you, you never know what facilities you're going to get in a garage or how much room you're going to get in a garage when you go to some of the tracks yeah exactly um, and some some circuits as you know have better facilities from a garage point of view for teams than others so we have to be able to adapt during the year depending on what circuit we're at so for example obviously we went to Brands Hatch last year one of our sprint rounds and obviously the garages are completely different to what you get at Spa say yep. for example yeah. if you're in the F1 pit lane yeah, so exactly. as a team you need to be able to adapt and, and function no matter where you're at and drivers are simple creatures as I know when I've gone to drive they like continuity they like going to the same place to pick the helmet the gloves the balaclava I have a routine I don't drive very often I have a very very strict routine about what I do before I'm going to go and get in a car so I don't get in the car and realise I forgot to put my earpieces in or anything like that drivers like that continuity don't they yeah, exactly, and that's what we're trying to generate for them, really. Make a bit of a home from home. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere comfortable where they can relax, and um, you know, when you're sharing a car with two other drivers, which is generally mm. how things are in Blancpain, uh, you're not always in the car, so you need somewhere potentially to just go review some video, have a bit mm. of quiet time to chill out, um, especially when you're doing the longer endurance races. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. We try and look after our drivers um, as well as we can. So we've got. A basically performance team of two people um, we've got Dean and Jess and they between them look after all the drivers in terms of um, keeping them hydrated giving them the right uh, food during the day uh, warming them up doing any kind of massage stuff from a sports physio point of view um, so it's sort of like 100% the drivers all get looked after here race drivers are athletes people don't think of that they think you know you're sitting on your backside for a couple of hours and just driving a car problem I've always thought is people drive a, most people drive a car every day they don't see it as an athletic pursuit but it very much is at this level isn't it yes exactly um, I mean I think with whatever sporting uh, activity that you're doing it, the, the fitter you are the better mental uh, capability that you've got uh, capacity when you're driving to you know read the situation ahead talk to the team on the radio if you're flat out um, just trying to keep the car on the track mm. and that's taking up all of your effort and your energy then you obviously you've got less um, capability of dealing with situations as and when they arise mm. so um, yeah we, we're very much performance focused as you know Nick's extremely fit himself um, and it's kind of the philosophy that goes throughout the team we try and uh, do the same things with the mechanics in terms of the pit stop stuff I mentioned earlier that mm. they get time to go to the gym uh, they get their gym sessions looked after by Dean and Jess as well so mm. we know that 
um, that they're doing the right type of exercises and they're doing the exercises correctly because uh, one of the big things that we don't want to have is people getting injured um, and it's quite easy to happen in the pit stops because you know at one stage uh, the guys are carrying nearly 50 kilos of wheels at part of the pit stop so that can obviously add strain on your back and your knees and your arms so um, we're very careful to try and look after the guys but, make sure they're okay but you know such an important part of what you, you're talking about there is building team spirit and looking after people and making them feel like a family. Again, a lot of people listening to this would give important parts of their anatomy to go and be part of a racing team. But you have to give up a lot. You're away quite a lot. I mean, roughly speaking, do you know how many miles these trucks will do this year travelling in the, in, the, uh, in the championships you're, you're involved in? Yeah, I mean, the, the nowhere near what a road haulage truck would do I, I, no, I think i, I think one, one of ours is three hundred thousand k's and that's quite a low mileage truck <laughs> and it's 10 years old but um yeah i mean the, the guys will probably do uh you know around ten thousand kilometers in the trucks this year uh with the events that we do obviously with the flyaways we've got much more extensive travel uh, like going to australia like yeah, we yeah. did and everything else so um yeah the, the, the championship is obviously the ones that we're doing is spread some in europe and some uh further afield with the intercontinental and do you look after all the things? So, you know, you're looking after parts and lifing and servicing of the, the cars. Do you presumably have to think about the trucks as well because they're instead, you kind, of, you kind of go to the truck one morning and go, ah, oh, that should have been in for its MOT, our Department of Transport test last week. We can't take it. That just can't happen, can it? No, exactly. I mean, they're all, they're all scheduled in for their routine services. So it's similar to if you've got... Uh, doing road haulage or anything like that, you have to say have the same amount of checks. Okay, your, your mileage might not have been the same as somebody who's uh, driving like a general haulage trailer, mm-hmm. um, and all our all our tail lifts have to get um, inspected mm-hmm. uh, periodically as well to make sure they're safe. Um, so they, yeah, they'll be specialist tail lifts if you've got to put you know thirteen fifteen hundred kilos on them. Yeah, exactly. They're all they're all specced up to be uh, to the design weight for the car. Obviously, going from prototype racing where the cars say 900 kilos to now running a car that's 400 <laughs> 400 plus more then yeah stuff like the tail lift and mm. what its load capacity is something we have to think about yeah brilliant stuff um i love the idea of this being multifunctional uh, really good use of space and it means you've always got it at the track and uh, keeping the drivers uh, right up to to top notch uh, we're going to pop back inside and check out some more facilities from Stracker Racing when we come back here on this inside story inside I'm right in the centre of England in Northamptonshire not too far away from Silverstone Circuit and we're at Stracker Racing for this inside story Jay Davenport has been my guide today what I've seen here Jay is that motor racing nowadays at GT3 level and you know that is by no means the peak of the pyramid uh, in terms of of what people watch around the world is a total immersion in the business and in the racing you can't let anything uh, slip under the radar as it were I've seen fantastic car preparation I've seen machine shops fabrication shops I've seen the way you look after the drivers and the cars an essential tool in that for many people is a simulator and you don't worry about having to find time somewhere else. You've got your own on site here. How important is that? Yeah, I mean, we find it extremely useful. I mean, we've been running a simulator in-house for about five years now. Um, so we've used it extensively on the uh, Le Mans prototype work that we've been doing, uh, Formula Renault 3.5. 
and now um, doing the GT3 racing. Um, we find it a very valuable help uh, for the drivers. Um, our simulator is more of a driver training tool than it is necessarily an engineering tool. We've got other software that can right. help us with uh, lap time simulation, etc. Um, but we basically what makes potentially this a little bit different to some other people is that we have a very extensive validation loop that we take the data from the track and we run it and compare it to what we have on the simulator wow. and we work really hard to in, make cl- it in terms of car dynamics exactly so the speed traces at the circuits will look the same the amount of brake pressure the amount of steering lock that you put in and on the car is all matched so it gives the guys as realistic as possible um feeling whilst they're driving i mean one of the big things with simulators is you don't get the g-forces as is a static simulator um we're not necessarily in a position to go to the sort of uh big rail simulators that some of the formula one teams have which i think is what you probably need to have a representative ultimately you still run out of movement in a in a long high j corner if you're trying to simulate 16 17 and 18 a quarter that triple pressure corner there's not a simulator in the world that can that can do that you eventually run out of movement otherwise un- unless you've got a, a rail that's on a football field you just you just can't do it I, and i know why people like movement simulators i also know a lot of people who don't like them i, I think for what you're talking about it's been okay I'm, I'm not at that level but a static simulator if you immerse yourself in it and you take it seriously and what you're seeing um matches what you would see on the track i think it, it's good enough nowadays to, to fool everything into being a useful tool yeah, for sure. I mean, we go off the driver feedback that we get. Mm. Uh, some drivers like it, some don't, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Some people don't get on with simulators, so that's just the, the, the nature of it. We, we find it is very helpful for preparing for circuits that you maybe the driver's not been to before. Yeah. So for Bathurst, for us, that yeah. was a big thing. And uh, we managed to get our guys up to speed. Uh, the guys who hadn't been there were up to speed very quickly. I think it does get you sort of 10, 15 laps down the road from you know where, where you would be if you just turned up uh, cold at the circuit. Um, the, the big thing that is different is braking. I'd say that's the biggest yeah. thing that you can't represent. So it's more of a visual cue yeah. um, on the simulator than it is. But if you've got those braking references, as you well know, John, you can go and get the feeling for what the car's yeah. doing when you're at the circuit. So we try and work with the drivers to make sure that they they know in their head what a good lap looks like. Mm-hmm. So they know what line they need to be on, yes. what gear they need yes. to be uh, in in a, in a corner. There's no doubt of, should I try this, should I try that? Um, obviously, when they change the circuits, like we had at Paul Ricard the other week, because that circuit's quite different now with the, the resurfacing. Oh, Some really? of the corners are profiled differently. Oh, really? um, so we did prep there, but what we've done is with that data, we've gone back to the, our guy who does the track maps and we're feeding back to him. So by the time we go racing there, we should have a, a, a track that is representative of where the circuit is now so so in the five years that you've had it here it hasn't stood still technology hasn't stood still and you're mapping your own track maps you're not using a proprietary software yeah we use we use the company ohw studios they're a partner of ours and um they they basically laser scan certain tracks and we've got a library of circuits that um you know as long as your arm pretty much of all around the world and but the ones that we 
we focus a lot on the ones that we're going to be running out this year. So we try and push as hard as we can to make sure the curbs are correct. And, you know, you can use this curb, you can't use that curb. That's very important in GT racing. Um, so we try and get that as accurate as possible. So the engineers are always working on the cars from that side of things. Um, we've done... And you're feeding back that information to them. So if you go and do a test somewhere um, and you think... I'm not sure that was right, or even if you do think it was right, you can give them the data, uh, things like suspension data and lap time data and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And we've got GPS comparison from oh. the Paul Ricard circuit layout as it previously was and as it is now, and that's probably the best way to explain how the lines have changed. So they can alter the, uh, and then obviously onboard video is very useful yeah. for seeing what's different with the circuit. So we provide, people, aren't they? provide, yeah, exactly. We provide all that information to them to get the circuits as close as we can let's have a look inside i can uh, hear something firing up and oh yeah so what we've got is the usual simulator room at the back with uh, four computer screens a lot of data and also a driver's eye view this is where the sim operator or the engineer would be as you can probably hear in the background there's the thundering noise of a amg GT3 car just going over the kerbs there although it is a single seater um, cockpit there Nick Leventis is in there but I do like the fact that the rear view mirror is on the screen so he, what he's seeing on a 180 degree wrap round screen is exactly what he'd say out the front of the Mercedes that I was looking into earlier on we're at uh, Silverstone, oh yes we are just coming out of Luffield through Woodcote and onto the Heritage start finish straight heading up towards Cops just a little bit of curb on the exit there in in fifth down to fourth turning a bit early there I reckon I'm going to tell him that later uh, you're still using the, uh, a single seater uh, cockpit here This uh, that's a, a relic of your, your, your Stracker uh, single seater days yeah, well, you can see just outside the room, we've got a, a LMP2 chassis that we used to use, so ah. a closed cockpit. We, we found for the GT racing, we've experimented with both, and we found that actually the open cockpit is a, is a good solution for us. It, drivers can get in and out quicker. We can you know, um, have better communication with them. And actually, when you're driving the car, uh, the view looks slightly different when you're actually installed in the cockpit to where we are standing now at the moment, John. Um, so yeah, it's all been lined up, like you say. So it looks exactly like when you're looking out of the out of the cockpit. We're we're working on. Um, uh, we were going to swap to a GT chassis for this year because. Um, as you probably know, we had quite a few crashes last year with the McLaren. So as a result, one of the one of the bonuses was we had two chassis that were not suitable for racing anymore. Oh dear. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, one we were looking at um, making into a simulator chassis, but because obviously we've changed manufacturers now, it doesn't seem really applicable to be running that chassis on the sim. So, um, Can I just say I hope you never have the opportunity to put an AMG GT3 up here because that'll mean you've had a bad season or a bad race. Exactly, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm quite happy to keep the single-seater chassis up here. For, Unless for we, you know, somebody out there has uh, a, a write-off AMG GT or a, a Mercedes GT that, uh, that they don't want, then you know I've got a home for it here for you. Yeah, that would be very <laughs> useful. Yeah, that would be good. As long as it's not us having crashed it, then exactly uh, right. I'll be quite happy to uh, talk to somebody about that, that'd be good um, the, the one thing that we are looking at uh, developing on the sim at the moment is um, we're going to install the actual steering wheel off the car yeah, because that's actually quite a big 
change for us this year, whereas the actual steering wheel diameter is quite a bit bigger on the um, Mercedes. So to give the drivers a proper realistic feel, we're going to make a modification to this sim. It's coming in the next couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, so we should all... Yeah, that'll be the final sort of piece in the jigsaw of making the sim as realistic as possible. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to... I don't know whether I dare interrupt Nick. Do you think he'd be all right if I have a wandering? I'll have a wandering. It's going to get loud for a moment. See, I wouldn't be able to do this in real life. I'm actually now standing. If, actually, I'm going to go around the other side as if I was in the passenger seat. So now I'm in the passenger seat of Nick Leventis, heading towards the end of the hangar straight, breaking down for store. He'll run out wide over the top of the brow here, just take a bit of curb, down through the veil. Look for the curb on the right and brake. Don't take the curb on the inside. And then you can touring car this one, which he does, the right-hander, and make a nice long right-hander onto the start-finish straight. Don't take that apex curb there. Nick, if I can just interrupt you for a moment. First of all, thank you very much for lending me, Jay, this afternoon to, uh, to come and have a, have a look around here. Um, important part of the, of the, uh, the strategy for Stracker here mm-hmm. is, this, uh, is this simulator. How important is it for you to be able to come here and do these laps? For me, it's absolutely vital, and I think for any driver that hasn't grown up karting and hasn't had the experience that a lot of the professionals do, this is an invaluable tool for sure. Uh, not just for circuit learning, for because we've done a lot of development with the setup, etc. You know, we can drive the car very similar to the car behaves in real life. So for me, it's absolutely crucial mileage, and and it's tending to uh, pay its dividends on the track. Um- it's been a while since I've been here. I've seen a lot of changes in the last hour or so that I've been here. I, you must have at least four or five times the floor space that you had before. Um, you've taken on some new people, even though you, you know, you're not running multiple programmes anymore. The future for Stratford, at least for the short to medium term, is GT racing. For the moment, it looks like that, John. I mean, you know, you say how much we've expanded, but to be honest with you, the budgets have come down. So it, it seems to me we're, we're doing a, that's the perfect ingredients for, for a successful business moving forward. You know, it's a shame not to be in, in sports cars and at Le Mans. But that being said, there's some fantastic events in GT racing. Bathurst was, was a great event, Spa 24, and, and in the future we'll be looking to do Daytona and, and other events like that. So... For the moment, the focus is on GT. There's a strong relationship here with Mercedes, which is just beginning. Um, and it's very much a partnership, and we're looking to grow that in the future. You've always looked to be the very best, Nick, since you came into this, on a personal level and on a team level. Um, we were talking earlier on about how you're looking after your drivers. Fitness is important, gym, training, etc. That's always been your personal mantra. But from a business point of view, you've always tried to put Stratton right at the very top of the game. Now, in GT3... It's a global formula and you are up against some very experienced and very big names. What do you think you can um, effectively make the Stratton difference? How can you, what's your USP in a, in, a, in a crowded marketplace to use business terms? I think our experience will count from the second to none. You know, um, in 10 years we've had two Le Mans victories. You don't get that just, just by doing nothing. Um, and we've learned a lot. You know, we're able to, to bring that into GT racing. That being said, the GT field is phenomenally close. Um, you know, it's wheel-to-wheel racing. The Spa 24-hour race is 24 hours of wheel-to-wheel racing. You don't get that in prototypes. And know. everybody's in the same class. I mean, it's hard to make up positions. Absolutely. You know, in, in my head, it's a harder race to win than, than Le Mans. So. Wow. But like I said, it, it's, everyone's in the same class. The drivers are very competitive. Um, and it's top-level racing. But, you know, so far, we've done a good job this season. And like I said, it's nice to be working with a decent manufacturer that we can hopefully uh, show what we can do at Strucker. GT3 has exploded 
GT racing around the world. GT4 coming along just behind it, doing a, a similar thing at a slightly more cost-effective level. Um, I, I would suggest you've got a bit of space here to run some GT4 cars if, if and only if the business model presented itself. Something that you've looked at and considered, particularly given the AMG GT4 product that's out there. Yeah, absolutely, John. I mean, there's one word you said there that's very interesting, cost-effective. I mean, we've turned down customers this year for British GT in GT3, um, and GT4 for sure commercially will be an option going forward. The first priority for me in the next couple of years, though, is to get results. You know, results in GT in the GT world is something we're lacking, and I honestly feel that we need to prove ourselves on track with getting the results we deserve. And following that, I think the business will, will write itself. It's an exciting time for all endurance racing at the moment. GT, we've talked about. Le Mans, you mentioned. A new category going to Le Mans with a chance of an overall victory for a private year team. Um, all right, you're going to have to beat uh, Gazoo Racing, Toyota Gazoo Racing, uh, at least for the, the next couple of Le Mans as well. But from the early times that we've seen, it, it looks like that is at least competitive. You can't tell me you haven't looked at that. Yeah, absolutely not. And, you know, it was uh, it, it was great on one side to, to see my mates Jota doing so well last year. But at the same time, you know, we, we were their sparring partners. So we'd have liked to be in that race for sure. But that being said, you know, realistically, the budgets in privateer P1, yes, you can be competitive for a year, but the development costs from year to year are unattainable. I'm sure Rebellion will do a fantastic job, as the other privateers there will do equally as well. So, you know, it is fantastic racing, but I'm certainly not disappointed to be in the category I'm in at the moment. And this GT3 category gives you the opportunity to do a full season in, in Blancpain, right? That's great. That's, that's your stock in trade. But because it's a global formula, Nick, you can go and cherry-pick the other races, all right? The International Series, Bathurst, that means you'll be going across to the States for the California eight hours uh, as well. Um, but you mentioned Daytona, GTD, GT Daytona is full GT3 spec. There are other races around the world that you can quote-unquote slot into with these cars yeah for sure i mean daytona has always been on our radar uh, i always thought i'd be doing it in a prototype car but for sure we'd be looking to do that that race and like you like you mentioned the intercontinental challenge is a fantastic series um there's rumors about it going to to other continents next year as well which is very exciting especially an area that we know well from our tracker performance days so mm. we're really excited about that we're, we're excited about going to japan at the end of the year and you know JT, gt3 at the moment provides a, a cost-effective platform on which we can demonstrate our, our business just before I wind this up, uh, and again, thank you very much for your and Jay's time today. Um, Strat has changed a lot since, what, five, six years ago when I was here talking to, to Piers. Um, where are you going to be in the next five or six years? What's the, because this was never a tour in the water. This was always something that you and I talked about way back, mm-hmm. saying that this was a long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. I think some people raised their eyebrows at that, Nick, but here we are talking many years down the road. What is, what is the medium and longer-term uh, hold for you and particularly for Stratton Racing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you're running a one-car team in, in WEC and the Le Mans series as a privateer, people think that you're just revolving around the guy paying the bills. That being said, we're now running three cars uh, with, with good factory support and, you know, in, in multiple championships. The, the, the aim is to turn this into a commercial business. Um, the level of investment from my side is coming down each year, which is fantastic. Um, and like I said, we're, we are growing it into a, a very sustainable business moving forward. You know, there's all sorts of opportunities with this current manufacturer, um, not just in GT3 racing, potentially in other formulas should they wish to, to branch into it. So the future, I think, medium to long term is looking very positive. Um, for the moment, the budgets are, are, are easily affordable with the partners and sponsors we've got. So it's, it's, I'm very optimistic about the future. You mentioned Mercedes AMG there. I mean, you talk to those, to those uh, about those guys as a partner, rightly so. Um, your 
commercial partners, commercial sponsors. Is, is it more realistic to get in people involved in an endurance GT, GT3, GT4 background and give them, again, here's a business word, ROI, return on investment, given the expanded coverage now, you know, we do Bathurst, we do all the IMSA races, the, the globally available free-to-air around the world. Is that an important part of your business plan going forward, choosing the right series to be involved with and making a compelling business decision uh, available to your commercial sponsors? I think the, the, the good thing is, and the one criticism I'd have over the ACO and the FIA and working, having worked with the SRO, is the SRO are far willing and able to work with you as, as a privateer man, a, a privateer team coming in and to, to be open doors. I mean, Stefan Rattel has been fantastic so far in providing a platform which we can, uh, we can bring in and be easily be reachable, you know, in terms of GT4 passenger rides at, at a race weekend, in terms of having Paddock in the presence, in terms of, like you say, the commercial broadcasting rights, in terms of filming. It's a lot easier to get things done with the SRO and that, that makes it a very uh, appealing championship to be involved in. Wish you all the best. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion you don't need me to say good luck because you work too hard to have to worry about luck. And I'll let you get back to work now. Fire back up again, head down towards Abbey as we round up our inside story here. Now all I've got to do before I leave Stratton Racing is somehow crowbar Nick out of that uh, out of that simulator and get a few laps myself as we say goodbye to Stratton Racing on this special inside story on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.